Welcome to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast. My name is Dr. Andrew Trasida from Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group, GP by background, and I'm joined by my colleague... Peter Bagshaw, GP in Somerset, and uh, Somerset CCG Clinical Lead for Mental Health. Thank you, Peter. Uh, We're really pleased to welcome our guest today, Kitty McFarlane, who is a Somerset singer and songwriter. Kitty, welcome. Oh, hello. Thanks so much for having me. Great to be here. Great that you can join us because we want to talk about music and well-being. But before we start, tell us tell us a bit about who you are, how you've grown up in Somerset, um, or and uh, your path to where you are now. Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm Kitty McFarland, and um, I am currently recording this in Somerset, in the house where I grew up, um, which is where I've kind of uh, escaped to throughout this pandemic. Um, because I live current normally live in Bristol, but um, I'm finding that. I really need nature around me at the moment, especially um, this year. And uh, just having a garden where you can see the comings and goings of the seasons and the year is incredibly helpful. Um, So that's where I am. And yeah, this is where I grew up. Um, And I started playing and singing um, my own songs um, and other people's uh, at around the age of 10 um, or 11. Um, I had a fantastic guitar teacher who uh, threw me in at the deep end and haven't really looked back. Um, I did go into further education doing English and French, um, but didn't sort of go into something related to that. But I kind of think it bolstered the songwriting element um, of my current career, which I do full time. Kitty, I'm fascinated that you use the word escape. Um, There's a great quote from Maya Angelou who said, uh, music was my refuge. I could crawl into the space between the notes and curl my back to loneliness. So is that how you see music as a way of escaping from a harsh reality? Oh, I think that's such a lovely quote. Um, I think she's definitely right. Um, For a lot of people, I think music is an escape. And I think there are two parts to it. One is listening, which is a really absorbing um, process, but also something you can do while doing other things and often listening to music can kind of trigger thought processes and so the other side of it is playing music um which is totally absorbing as well but in a completely different way um because i find that sometimes when i'm playing music i can't think of anything else i'm so one track minded the concentration levels are there so it is an escape but in two different ways and that's really interesting because we talk a lot about mindfulness and being in the moment. And I think music, whether you're listening or playing, is a great way of doing that, isn't it? It makes you focus on that emotional journey. Um, and I should, can I give a little plug to say that you're going to be doing one of your own songs right at the end of this podcast. So uh, people carry on listening and you'll hear Kitty playing at the end. Absolutely. I have to say, I'm always in awe of anybody who can sing and anybody who can play an instrument, but also to do the two at the same time. How does that work? Does that require a lot of concentration? Is it something that happens naturally or or how does it work? I think it's something for me that I've always found quite quite a natural thing. Um, When I started playing guitar when I was 10, 10, 11-ish, I did it so I could accompany my voice. Um, And... There is something really special about feeling your voice and the sing- your singing mixing with the notes that you're playing the guitar. And actually, as a physical process, I think when you've got the guitar against your body, and you can feel the reverberations and your voice really melding harmonically. That's something that's really, I've always found really special. 
Thank you. And many of us um, in our younger years, perhaps, Peter, have been to discos which were too noisy and we felt the sort of the booming going through us. What you're talking about is an acoustic car close to you. Is that a different feeling from that sort of big, big booming that I was mentioning? Is it a, a gentler or is it a, a harder thing or is it? A, how would you describe the difference between that bass and... Uh, I wonder, I think that's a really good point. And I've not really thought about that before, but I think actually it's a physical thing that happens when you play, play and listen to music, but it's not just a, in your brain, it's actually your whole body responding to something. And I think that bass that kind of really gets to your sort of rib cage and kind of really grounds you at those really loud events is really grounding. And you kind of feel, um, yeah, I think really in touch with your physicality. I, I've got to interject a, a boring medical warning here. I've got the tinnitus from my wild uh, disco days. So be careful with the loud noises out there, folks. Yeah, listen to fake music. <laughs> <laughs> Good pun. Um, actually, what you're suggesting really here, um, um, Kitty, is that the music resonates with us in a way. And I, Peter, I don't know if we've explored the fact that we are human bodies, we're hardware bodies, but we're also software being. And that software being down the centuries from Chinese uh, medicine has meridians and from uh, Indian culture has chakras, which are energy points in us. And, and the lowest chakra, our base chakra, our root chakra connects us to the, uh, to the earth. And that's the sort of the lowest vibration one. So that would sort of come as a low note or a sub-bass note. And then our, our highest chakra, Chakra, um, is the crown chakra, which is said uh, in Chinese approaches, you know, man stands as a bridge between heaven and earth. So that opens us to the inspiration from above. And that's a very high note. So through the human body, we resonate at different levels. And I don't know whether that's a scientific fact or not. I think it is. And I've, I've read things um, that some of the, the, the cairns, long barrows in Scotland, are actually built to, to hit those resonant frequencies. So it's thought that people will have chanted in there and, and that those uh, spaces made their voices resonate more. And certainly there's a lot of very ancient musical instruments, haven't they, that have been found way back in prehistory. So I think it's something deep within us. Mm, I think there's something also about um, reverberations where, you know, when you walk past something and you just happen and you're speaking and you just happen to hit a spot where it's echoing off the buildings or something and it's a, it's a weird out of body moment and um there's been art installations that have kind of played around with that and i think there's one in the gardens of it, not wales cathedral um but the bishop's palace at, in wales um in somerset uh, where there's a kind of domey shape that you can walk into and then speak or sing and it, it when you're standing in the middle it creates this kind of really strange effect and weird feeling but it, all it's doing is projecting your voice interesting so there's the the beehive um, from ireland from centuries ago and of course many modern churches or rather older churches cathedrals and uh, uh, old churches often built on important energy sites or sacred energy spots have resonant abilities and i think a good cathedral that can last three four five seconds the echo and uh, i think in the medieval times there were chantries set up a, a knight would set up a chantry of perpetual choirs to sing and and resonate in in his uh, honor but coming back to the more more present there's a uh, a cycle path near us which was an old railway line and the other day i i was going along it and there was a chap playing his drums 
under the railway arch of a bridge and the amazing resonance when you were actually under that arch was phenomenal go outside the bridge and it was just normal volume but it was multiplied by three or four fascinating yeah i think um i think that idea of responding with your surroundings in an accidental way is really interesting and it can be really really fun like when you're walking through a through a tunnel or something going and hearing it reflected back at you and it reminds me actually of a really nice quote by Wordsworth where he talks about hooting as a young boy down the garden sending hoots out into the night sky hoping that it might be sort of reflected back with by an owl because they obviously are hooting to each other I just thought that was really lovely lovely so Wordsworth who lived on the Quantocks at one point I believe um, yeah. or, or, or or have I got mixed up with my uh, my 19th century uh, um, literary people no I think he did I think he spent some time on the Quantocks um, Al Foxton with his sister and yeah Coleridge did didn't he yes Coleridge definitely did as well, but yeah, he, he definitely spent some time with Dorothy there. So Kitty, do you have any favourite places you like to go to in Somerset? And do you have any favourite places you like to sing, either on the indoors or the outdoors? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I definitely have lots of favourite places to go to, um, and lots of places in Somerset specifically that have inspired my music. Um, off the top of my head, I'd say... Um, Hamwall Nature Reserve, RSPB Nature Reserve, or um, Somerset Wildlife Trust Nature Reserves around that area, West Hay and Catcott, and going and spending time in a bird hide, um, especially really early in the morning, um, is a really magical experience. Um, and watching sort of dawn break um, has insp- that's inspired a couple of songs. Uh, one of them is a song about the starling murmurations uh, on the Somerset levels that I wrote uh, and, and watching that happen at this time of year um, in huge numbers and making these incredible shapes in the sky is, is really sort of transcendental, um, but also really, uh, it really sort of encouraged a feeling of connectivity with other people um, that were watching it too. And I, I watched them on Shapwick Heath and RSPB Hamwall. Um, so I'd say that, but the other, I, I, funny, I haven't really sung in many open air places uh mostly out of um i don't know people being around <laughs> but i recently did do a podcast um for a podcast um not podcast for a radio show called um folk on foot and we went up burrow mump on the somerset levels and i sang a song there that i wrote from that from that sort of point so it's sort of a song about that view looking across the floods um at this time of year and um, i went and sang the song at the top of the hill which was really special how lovely uh songs about salisbury hill are also very good aren't they hills in general very inspiring places you raised a very interesting point there kitty about um it being a way of people connecting and obviously at the moment that's difficult but it's interesting that even using the virtual things that we're forced to do, people love to sing together. And it, it is very much a way of, of being together, being part of something bigger. Uh, and that seems incredibly important to people. Do you think that's an Im- important part of music and why it makes us feel good? Yeah, I think you're right. I think there's a way of bonding with people through music that you can't really do um, verbally. And 
I've experienced it in ways at music festivals, playing with other musicians late at night. Um, just someone starts playing a song or a tune and other people join in, especially you get this with the Irish and Scottish and English traditional music, uh, which is really lovely. Uh, especially the spon- what, what appears to sometimes be the spontaneous creativity of it. Uh, and I remember going to Sidworth Folk Festival years ago and just these people playing this wonderful music completely without me, no notes in front of them. It all seems from, from remembered material and just change key and change chord and change tune and just go off on uh, another, another area. Yeah, I think it can be really intuitive and impulsive and also conversational as well. Yep. So what about the benefits of singing together? So not just as, as the singer, but groups of people um, singing choirs and, and the others. What, 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 what's going on there? Because it does seem that the sum is more than the, the whole of the parts. Sorry, the whole is more than the sum of the parts. Yeah, I, um, I actually experienced this quite recently. I've, I've been part of choirs throughout my life but mostly when I was younger and recently I joined a choir um, weirdly during this year which sounds bizarre but they were doing it in a way that was really safe and um, different a bit different to normal and so we'd we'd sing in little groups spaced out um, and there was something really really lovely about hearing your own voice not not especially as me as a solo singer I'm always singing on my own on stage um, and that's the sound that you're listening to. But when you're hearing your voice, not but clouded by other people and, and enhanced by other people and you're building something bigger, it's such a great feeling, even harmonically, when you can hear the sort of vibrations interlocking with other, other voices. It's lovely. So there's something about connection and being in harmony with, with other people. And what, what does music do for your mood, generally? What, what would life be like for a week without music? If you had absolutely no music for a week, how would you feel? Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I think, again, it comes down to there's two different versions, I think, listening and playing. And listening to music, I think, is uh, can be really transportive. And I find it funny how some songs can jettison us into the past, into adolescence especially. Um, but playing music also... It can also be very transportive, but you have to be in a good mood to play music sometimes. If I'm in a bad mood and I play music, it doesn't necessarily get me out of that. Um, For example, earlier on this year, when at the beginning of the pandemic, I was finding it really hard to pick up the guitar and play. And I know lots of, having spoken to lots of musician friends who also had that experience. Um, So I think you have to be in the right mind space to to do it. But once you do, it does help. (laughs) That makes sense. And because we're medical, we'd, we'd better give a bit of uh, uh, grounding, scientific grounding to the benefits of, of music. So it, uh, it's been shown to reduce cortisol, it releases dopamine, and it has effects in the amygdala, orbitofrontal cortex, ventral striata, and the ventral medial prefrontal cortex. So it has all these, these actual effects in the brain, but I much prefer a way of looking at it Um, where, for instance, uh, to give another quote, Lao Tzu, music in the soul can be heard by the universe. I love that. And Peter, you've got a particular interest in mental health and a particular knowledge about dementia. Does music have any effect on on our brains and on cognitive function and anything like that? 
One of the the big things that's happened in the last few years is um, self-help groups in dementia and peer groups. And and one of the the best is singing for the brain. And it seems as though those tunes are embedded very deep within our our brains and and will often persist when other memories are difficult to recall. I I don't know if anyone's seen it. If, If you haven't, please Google it. Paul Harvey. Um, is a chap who has established dementia, uh, has been a, a, a music teacher through his life and was given four random notes by his son and composed, uh, we're talking about spontaneous compositions, he c- has composed this fabulous um, piece of, on the piano that's now been recorded by a, a professional orchestra uh, and, and has started up a, an organisation to support people with dementia. So it does seem as though there's something really, really deep in our brains. And I'm sure we all know that, don't we? We can all remember tunes from our childhood uh, when when a lot of other things are are long since gone. Is that the way it feels to you, I think, yeah, I think there's something about music that can act as a really uh, helpful tool for nostalgia and memory. And it sort of unlocks a part of our brain that, that so maybe goes dormant or something. I don't know, a different part of our brain it feels and, and that is lit up and it can sort of flick a switch. Um, but also, you know, we should remember that some music can do the opposite and um, really wind us up. And we've all got songs that are kind of our bugbears. <laughs> Uh, and there's martial music, so there would be use, music used by armies for bands to make people feel warlike, and uh, and there's soothing music, and there's romantic music, and there's the Portuguese uh, fado, and there's all, all sorts of different genres, uh, and they do make us feel different. And is it? I think you mentioned earlier how some music takes you back to adolescence. I find that certain pieces really take me back to adolescence and small childhood. And if I say something like truth tingles, does that mean anything to anybody? Do you ever get those sort of, not, not the shivers up your spine, but those, those sort of that, that feeling, that fuzzy feeling around you when something feels very important and very real and, and very present? Mm, that's lovely. That's a lovely way of putting it. Um, yeah, I think... Uh, it, yeah, it's interesting how I think it's a bit like deja vu almost or um, or nostalgia, but whereas you can just be sent somewhere so transportive by music. Yes, yes. I can certainly relate to that. There are pieces of music that, that do give that tingling up the spine, definitely. And can I ask you another thing that, that puzzles me, Kitty, that I like often quite listening to, to quite sad music, and yet somehow it doesn't make you miserable what's the what's the paradox what's going on there why why is sad music enjoyable to listen to well that's yeah that's funny i actually read somewhere that um that we are sort we we might be sort of slightly conditioned to thinking that sad minor my, that minor music is sad like minor chords and that major major chords is positive and there are loads of examples of songs that are inherently sad that are written in a major key and it's trying to get to the bottom of how that is possible and lots of songs that are the other way around that are um happy songs that are written in a minor key for example pharrell williams is happy um is written in a minor key and that sort of just seems really bizarre 
Oh yes, that's one of Hillary's favourites. That's a, that's a great one. My wife's favourites. That it's it's interesting. Somebody was telling me that actually, you know, if we go back to that software being bit and uh, and the energy body, that it resonates to different frequencies, and sometimes we need to be fed or supported or nourished with that harmony. So that might be sometimes why we have particular pieces of music, just not just because we heard them in a special place or we were with somebody uh, at that time. So there's some interesting things going on. Just coming back to the science, um, Peter, we were talking about cognitive function earlier, but I've just got here um, some scientific studies of, of psychologists that say that music can improve cognitive performance. Music, as you said, can reduce stress. There's 10 of these. Number three, music can help you eat less. That sounds good, doesn't it? And Music can improve your memory, and certainly a number of us, when we study, listen to music as well uh, and find that helpful. I have to say, I can't do it with, uh, with um, somebody speaking, but I can do it with somebody singing. Music can help pain. So what's going on there? Because we know that pain is felt in the brain, even though it may be that your leg that's um, got bruised or, or, or your, your arm that's uh, been hurt in some way. Music may help you sleep better. Uh, music can improve motivation. Music can improve mood. Music may reduce symptoms of depression. And finally, music can improve endurance and performance. And that's from the verywellmind.com website. So there's a, there's a whole load of, of proven scientific uh, approaches. I wish I knew exactly how this worked because here we are, lucky enough to live in Somerset with this beautiful nature. And for many of us, the two are just different harmonious aspects of of creation in some ways. You know, music is, is what you're producing and so singing and, and uh, writing, Kitty, and uh, there is nature out there. Maybe inspiring, you said earlier? Yeah, I think it's interesting that you mentioned that as well. And, and the two worlds aren't completely separate because uh, there's been a lot of proof that natural sounds um, can reduce stress and tension. And birdsong, for example, I find really, uh, just really um, relaxing and I think it's a, it's a reminder that, that the world is turning and that life is beginning again, especially at this time of year when you hear birds starting to sing the dawn chorus. Thank you. And what about the sound of the sea or rivers? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, yeah, I, I, as I made an album a couple of years ago um, called Namer of Clouds and for it as part of the process, um, because a lot of my songs are about specific places, um, particularly around Somerset um, and beyond. Um, and because of that, I wanted to sort of almost collaborate with the sounds of the wild in a way. And I borrowed a uh, portable a really posh portable recorder and went and uh and recorded loads of found sound which is just kind of gathered gathered sounds from around the county and featured them in the songs kind of wove them in and out and um one of them was these the sounds of the the coastline on the north somerset coast there's a little bay called st audrey's bay and uh that that was the kind of soundscape and backdrop of a song of a traditional song found on the quantock hills all about sea morgans which are these kind of malicious malevolent creatures that live in the Somerset on the Somerset coast specifically sea morgans are in Somerset and they come to their, the shore at this at the bottom of this big waterfall on the north Somerset coast and they comb their hair with seashells so I recorded the waterfall and, and stuck that on the background backdrop of that song. Uh, lovely is that the album that's got the picture of Highbridge Beach with the, um, the, the little lighthouse on it? 
actually that's another one that's an ep a shorter a shorter thing i did a couple of years before but yeah there's um there's lots of photography around somerset we've got the burnham on sea lighthouse uh hinkley point sort of in the background and burrow mump and the and the levels they all feature on in in the songs but also on the on the covers oh that's great The, the link you've made between natural sounds and particularly birdsong and, and music is, is quite an old one, isn't it? And I think the, one of the, the pieces that tops the classical charts every year is uh, Vaughan Williams' Lark Ascending that, that uses that natural sound. Uh, and I'll give a plug to our listeners again that if they hang on, they'll hear you sing it at the end and uh, we can experience this. And also we'll put up links to, to all your music as well. How does music affect you, Kitty? Do you... You, you like folk music. Is, is it the sadness of the folk music? Is it the connection with nature? What, what is it about that style of music that particularly attracts you and that maybe would uh, draw other people in and give them emotional benefits? I think there is a really beautiful essence in folk music that in that it has existed for so long and that it sort of is a little time capsule of stories. Um, a lot of the traditional songs have been sung for centuries and it's so lovely. I don't really sing an awful lot of traditional songs. I kind of write, write my own, but it is lovely when you hear a traditional singer singing a song that has been living for so long in different incarnations and that's really special. Um, but for me, I think I, on a, on a really basic level, I love the timbre, I love the sounds of acoustic instruments and I love the storytelling nature and I love the ability to sing about something that's not introspective. It's um, telling stories that are, exist beyond me, um, which I think is really, really lovely. And I love also how folk music tells stories of the times. So they can be political and they can be protest songs in a subtle way. They can tell stories of individuals that are too lowly to make the history books um and they can tell stories of like bigger uh, global things that are happening as well um and for me i use my own songwriting as a way to make sense of the world and and to reassure myself um as well that i am part of something much bigger um so i think i in a way write cathartically but it's not stuff about my own personal life. That's really interesting. Music connects us to story and our, our soul responds to story as, as children we did, but as adults we respond at a deep level to story. It connects us to history, it connects us to places and to times, and it connects us to the harmonious patterns of nature, uh, both uh, being outside and birdsong, which might have been the original inspiration for man to want to make music or some types of music. Um, and it connects us just maybe to who we are in the here and now. And that's really important at these times uh, when a lot of us are having challenges, personal, a lot of people have had great loss uh, and music can be very, very important. And I think possibly it's almost time to leave it there and just to move into listening to you have a song. And before we do that, Peter. I just wanted to throw in my last quote if that's okay which i think sums things up pretty well music gives a soul to the universe wings to the mind flight to the imagination and life to everything 
And that was said by Plato over 2,000 years ago, and it's as true now as it was then. And thanks very much for coming along, Kitty. That's lovely, Peter. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kitty, for coming along. And your website is kittymcfarlane.com. And we're about to listen to you play and sing. Lovely. Yeah, absolutely. This is a song um, which I selected because of its sort of links to mental well-being, I think. Um, and it's a really simple song. A lot of my other songs have big stories behind them, but this is just quite a simple one. I wrote it for a friend's baby, newborn baby. and But it, it's also a song for anyone who needs consolation or reassurance or a bit of comfort, just as a reminder that dawn will conquer the dark so it's called dawn and dark thanks so much for having me on when all the stars and matter in the universe at night time speed your fearful Dawn wages war on the dark If you feel small, recall the lowly Ammonite Leaving its indelible mark From the humblest rock to the furthest satellite Dawn wages war on the dark And when all the things that glimmer in the atmosphere seem to flicker out without a spark Know that someplace, somewhere else in another War on the dawn wages war on the dark. Remember this at times when you're uncertain and your shaky world seems fit to fall but as surely as the rivers reach the oceans dawn wages war on the dark dawn wages war on the dark dawn wages war on the dark You've been listening to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast, hosted by Dr. Andrew Tresida and Dr. Peter Bagshaw. The show was created by David Seeley and was produced by Rob Hunt's Music on behalf of the Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group.